You're listening to the Illinois Farm Talk podcast. Here are your hosts, Ben and Garth. Racism is a problem, not race. Racism is a public health crisis, and it has created the foundation of the social determinants of health. As healthcare professionals, we are trained to provide the best care to all and advocate for change that improves patient care. So addressing this public health crisis among COVID-19, so addressing racism, I felt as pharmacists, was a critical issue that we should take a stand on. As pharmacists, we took an oath to fulfill and to fulfill this vow. You know, the first statement is that it says, I will consider the welfare of humanity and relief of suffering my primary concern. But what I like about the term of cultural humility, it's coming from a place of being humble and wanting to learn from your patients, understanding that we may be the experts in medication as pharmacists, but we are not the experts in the patient's cultural beliefs and just who they are as an individual. So we have stood against racial inequality while working tirelessly to promote health equity. Hello, I am Ben Calcaterra, and I am here with Garth Reynolds, and we are here to bring you the next episode of Illinois Farm Talk by the Illinois Pharmacist Association. In this episode, we'll have a special interview with Dr. Lakeisha Butler about racial injustice in pharmacy and what you can do to make a difference. Plus, we will get a quick update on COVID-19 and how it will impact annual conference 2020. Hello, Garth. Hello, Ben. So we've got a lot going on right now in the world, and that has prompted us to have this special episode. We're going to talk about what's happening in the world around racial injustice and pharmacy and what led to all of the pharmacy organizations and associations coming together jointly. Um, They have written a joint statement on, on what's happening and we as the Illinois Pharmacists Association are lockstep with that uh, joint connection and, and we've released a statement and with that, we'll just jump right in Garth. What's going on and, and what does a IPHA have to say about it? Well, IPHA, just like many other organizations, were shocked by the current situation, specifically around the deaths of uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and many others that um, have gone unanswered. And it finally came to a precipice that um, our country has decided that we need to have a discussion and really pull back with duct tape the bandages that um, we've had over our eyes, ears, and mouths. And I'm really proud of our profession for coming together as it has over the last month. And IPHA issued a statement shortly after Memorial Day, where, um, and I'm going to read it here, our oath states that, quote, I will consider the welfare of humanity and relief of suffering my primary concerns, end quote. Our profession is truly diverse in both practice settings and the people who practice pharmacy and care for their patients every day. Empathy and advocacy are the cornerstones of our profession. It demands of us two things, 
that we take action to better our profession and better our communities. It is the letter that we as the Illinois Pharmacists Association call to action all pharmacists, student pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, and our patients to stand firm against and call out racism in all forms. The continued injustice that has been imposed upon black men and women in this country will no longer be tolerated. And as President Lincoln said, quote, you cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today, end quote. Pharmacies have long been places of healing in our community. We must open our doors and be the voice for our patients who demand for us to speak up. And that speaks volumes to what we as pharmacists are demanded of on a daily basis in our profession. We took an oath to be pharmacists and care for all people. And here we are standing up for that oath. Uh, not only as Illinois Pharmacist Association members, but pharmacists in general and humans on this earth. We are all humans and we all should treat each other as humans. So with that, we are going to jump right into our special interview with Dr. Lakeisha Butler. We're here with our guest interview, Dr. Lakeisha Butler. She's a clinical professor of the Department of Pharmacy Practice at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville School of Pharmacy, director of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and is also the current president of the National Pharmaceutical Association. Welcome, Dr. Butler. Thank you. So we're here to uh, talk about a few issues that are ongoing. Um, we've there are issues that we've talked about in the past, not nearly enough, and are definitely current events that uh, really require us to get in deep and, and, and bring this to national attention. And we hope that our podcast is a avenue that we can do that. Um, let's just get started and, and ask, you know, for our listeners who are unaware, let's start with an easy one. What is the mission of the NPHA? What is NPHA and, and what's its mission? Absolutely. Thank you for that question. So the National Pharmaceutical Association, which is NPHA, was founded in 1947. And this was during a period in our nation's history when minority medical professionals were often barred from joining established professional associations. And so it was created uh, to aid in this racial equity uh, fight for um, predominantly African-Americans. And so Today, MPHA remains dedicated to representing the views and ideals, specifically of the underserved. We're a voice for the underserved and underrepresented minorities on critical issues affecting healthcare and pharmacy. We also advance the standards of pharmaceutical care among all practitioners. So we have stood against racial inequality while working tirelessly to promote health equity. That's wonderful and so important, um, not only currently, but as you said, going back uh, several years in the past, it's something that's been important and is definitely important to continue. So thank you for, for the work that you've done there. Um, so let's talk about the joint statement. There is a currently a joint statement that's been produced by um, different pharmaceutical associations. Um, can, we, can we talk about the joint statement on racial injustice? Absolutely. So this is a joint statement 
that was released uh, earlier this month against racial injustice, and it was signed by 14 different national pharmacy organizations. And it's interesting that we have this infrastructure that was in place to advocate for uh, against this global pandemic that we're in, COVID-19. And I utilize this infrastructure of uh, CEOs, uh, pharmacy organization executives to bring forward another crisis that is going on in our country in the form of racism. And I specifically charged all of them um, to think about the oath that we took. So as pharmacists, we took an oath to fulfill and to fulfill this vow. You know, the first statement is that it says, I will consider the welfare of humanity and relief of suffering my primary concern. And it's important for us to understand as pharmacists that humanity includes all people. And unfortunately, there have been a subset of people in this country that are disproportionately suffering. And we see that um, it's coming to light even more, more recently. As healthcare professionals, we are trained to provide the best care to all and advocate for change that improves patient care. So addressing this public health crisis among COVID-19, so addressing racism, I felt as pharmacists was a critical issue that we should take a stand on. And what was so uh, gratifying was that these other organizations provided overwhelming support of providing this statement, this joint statement. And so within this statement, uh, we were able to speak out and provide actionable items that we, we want all of the pharmacy organizations to, to take as we move towards being anti-racist. And Dr. Butler, I really think that a lot of our members may not understand that of how hard it is sometimes to get all the national pharmacy associations to agree on, on, a, on a general topic, let alone one as such as importance as what we're addressing here with racial injustice. And not only as, as my part as the executive director for IPHA, but as president-elect of NASPA, it, it, was, it, it was really one of these statements that were like, yes, this is something we have to get behind. We have to say it loudly. And it is something we should have been doing a lot, of a, a lot better job of before we got to this point. And I'm glad yeah. to see that we're pulling organizations together to take a new step forward and, and, and make a dramatic impact for the positive in the days ahead. I agree. Uh, this was not an easy task. I saw firsthand how hard it is to get a number of organizations to agree on, um, you know, even just short letters that we're sending to uh, federal legislation. So, um, yes, this was not necessarily easy, but I felt like I made the justification for it. And I think many of the organizations were thinking it, but didn't necessarily know what to do or how to do it. And so this was just an opportunity for them to say, yes, this, this is what we, we need to do. This is something that 
we should have been doing. And it's time for us to to take action and, and be bold in, in that statement. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think, you know, we saw some of the first steps of this new endeav- endeavor this past Friday. We're recording this on Monday, June 29th. And um, this past Friday, APHA announced and many of the other national organizations um, echoed throughout social media in stating that um, last Friday was the start of pharmacists fighting racism. And I think that um, really hit to some of the key points and actions that were agreed to in the joint statement. And granted, it is a first step, and it is one of many that we'll need to take. But I think from I think for some of our members, how to outlook, how should pharmacy organizations from the national down to the states and even locals, because, you know, we have many local affiliated organizations throughout Illinois. How can we all be working together with using the tenets of the joint statement to achieve its purpose? Absolutely. So that's a great question. And I agree. Um, APHA did take a stand on um, this past Friday, the 25th, June 25th on declaring that day as Pharmacists Fighting Racism Day. And I'll have to say that many of the other national organizations are already taking steps as well. Um, So ASHP has created a task force geared towards addressing racial inequities as has APHA and other organizations. They are beginning to create these different task forces. Um, so you asked the question, what can pharmacists be doing? And so that's that's honestly a, a loaded question because there's just so much work to be done. Um, this did not happen overnight. Racial injustices, racial inequities, those did not happen overnight. They didn't happen over a year or two. They have been in existence for hundreds of years. And so I think the first step is understanding the racial history of this country and doing the research of of what has been the um, ideology that has permeated this country. And we talked about it in the joint statement that there has definitely been uh, this systemic racism that we see throughout the threads of of, um, woven throughout our country. And so it is that recognition, that first recognition of understanding the racial history but also understanding um, for those that may be non-minority from the majority group, recognizing privilege that you may have due to this racial history and owning it. So it's not necessarily a bad thing because I I think about my my kids all the time. They have grown up in privilege um, for sure. You know, having two parents that are pharmacists and, um, the the kind of lifestyle, the place that they live and go to school, that's privilege. But what's important is as we recognize that privilege, we have to also think about how can we utilize our privilege for those who do not have privilege. And that is where pharmacists can take a stand and say, I understand that I have privilege, but what can I do for those that are underprivileged? We like to use the term underserved or underrepresented. And so that's just one part. And there's a a level of reflection. So understanding maybe what role have I played potentially, whether it was intentional or unintentional, and being potentially this 
that's a part of the systemic racism or perpetuating systemic racism. And then finally, it's education. So in order for there to be a recognition, a reflection, moving past that um, and actually promoting change, there has to be a true education of what can be done. What do I need to understand better? And what can I do to be better and be a part of the solution? And I'm glad that you brought up that, you know, this is not a new issue. This is something that has been um, impacting our patients and in our communities for many years. And I think, you know, recently, for at least, I would say, the last, you know, five or six years, through IPHA and a lot of our policy endeavors, we have been talking about pharmacy deserts and the impact that that has had on communities throughout Illinois and our concern about the increased spread of pharmacy deserts and their impact not only economically, but definitely clinically that we're starting to see on communities in Illinois because of the loss of pharmacy. And this can have an impact directly to what we're talking about with social and health disparities. Absolutely. So you're addressing what we call social determinants of health. And we, first off, we want to understand that racism is the problem, not race. Racism is a public health crisis, and it has created the foundation of the social determinants of health. And so when we think about access to health care, it is due to our lack of access to healthcare. Um, we see that more prevalent in areas that are serving underrepresented minorities and underserved populations. We also see food deserts as well, or um, education is another part um, of, or another factor with social determinants of health. You know, oftentimes we may say to our patients that it's important for you to get out and get physical activity because that is what's going to help lower your blood pressure or get your diabetes under control. But what if the neighborhood that they're living in does not have sidewalks or the neighborhood that they're living in is not safe? And so that can contribute to their lesser, um, the healthcare not being optimal. So that is an example of a social determinant of health. I think it's important for us as pharmacists to come from a stance of cultural humility. And I don't know if you've heard that term before. We oftentimes use cultural competency, cultural awareness, uh, cultural sensitivity. But what I like about the term of cultural humility, it's coming from a place of being humble and wanting to learn from your patients, understanding that we may be the experts in medications as pharmacists, but we are not the experts in the patient's cultural beliefs and just who they are as an individual. So coming to the table in a humble way of trying to understand best, what are some potential factors that could be contributing to their healthcare issues or their disease state? but also just coming from a place of, I want to learn, I want to grow, and I want to learn, especially from those that don't look like me or don't have the same beliefs as I do. I like that term about cultural humility, because that's a new one for me, and I think that strikes a chord uh, with something that someone 
in my position who does not see this, or I should say does not recognize that I see the things that we're talking about, um, it's something that I can learn a lot from. So, you know, in, in a place as a community pharmacist, um, as a community leader, where can we go for one, not only to find more of this information out, to learn about this more for pharmacists who are just kind of coming to terms with, with understanding that they need to learn more about this, but, but also um, what kind of community stakeholders can they, can they work with to help move forward? So I would definitely say um, working with those who you're trying to learn more about, right? So underrepresented minority groups, uh, certainly in PHA, that's what we represent. And um, we are made up of um, minority pharmacists who have been marginalized, who have been oppressed, and we understand what it's like uh, to actually experience this systemic racism as pharmacists. So going to those types of organizations. Um, certainly another thing to think about, especially when we're thinking about how pharmacists work together uh, within a healthcare team. You know, as I've done some research, I've found that nurses have really taking, uh, taken a, uh, a forefront in, in incorporating this topic within their curriculum for years. Also social workers, they have um, undergone great um, education and training in the area of social justice. So those are just some examples, but what better way to learn from those individuals that you are trying to learn more about? And so it's definitely finding those marginalized communities, um, those underrepresented minority groups, and then, as I stated, um, some of our other uh, colleagues in the nursing and social work field. I think that's great that you brought up the nursing and social work field, because that leads into something that I know we spend a lot of time on in our pharmacy curriculum, and especially even in our continuing education programs for pharmacists, is talking about the, you know, the pharmacist-patient care process, and that we need to be working in a more team-based care approach. But I think we always think of it from the therapeutics point of view, and we still sometimes forget that we're supposed to be addressing the whole patient. And that includes some of these social and health disparities that I don't think that we're always recognizing and identifying. And if Absolutely. we are, we're not making sure that they're being addressed by someone. It doesn't need to be by us, but it needs to be addressed by someone. Yes, yes. So those social determinants of health, transportation. So if you have a patient who is uh, scheduled to come uh, to clinic and be seen, um, so I'm, I'm at a clinic in East St. Louis, and oftentimes our patients may not uh, make their appointments because of transportation issues. And so that's where we need a social worker who has a plethora of knowledge in the area of these social determinants of health and helping with these social factors that could be limiting or being a barrier to them, to the patients having access to healthcare. So yes, the social workers definitely, they play a great part um, in, in helping us against, uh, fight against this, this uh, problem. 
Well, we're also very fortunate to be joined with us this evening by two of our APPE students on rotation with IPHA, Remat George from University of Illinois at Chicago, Rockford campus, P4 student, and Rachel Langdon, uh, Southern Illinois University Edwardsville School of Pharmacy, P4 student. And I know that they have some questions that they would also like to um, ask to Dr. Butler and uh, as part of this conversation. All right. Hi, Dr. Butler. Um, Hello. One, well, a lot of them you covered already. You're really thorough with your answers and everything. But one thing that I really want to ask you is we're going to be graduating in a little less than a year. We're actually going to be the ones out in the workforce. Um, and I just want to know if you have any specific advice you could give to incoming young pharmacists in the workforce and how we can be cognizant of things we can do to. Um, you know, um, eliminate any implicit bias tendencies or anything like that. So it's important to understand, um, you bring up unconscious bias, and it's important to understand what that means, implicit versus explicit bias. So explicit bias, definitely something that you think about, you, you meditate on, um, and it's typically what we consider to be more of the overt racism. However, Unconscious bias is something that we don't necessarily think about. It's something that we just do. And us as pharmacists, we go into the healthcare field wanting to help people, um, wanting to make people better. And so we typically don't deal with the overt or the explicit bias. It's the unconscious bias that we really need to be mindful of. And so I feel like it's important to go through what I call the cycle of socialization. And that is where you reflect on what were the messages that you were given by your parents, your grandparents, even what was reinforced in the media, um, what was around you within your culture. And this could be specific to race. And so when you think about what were those race messages that you received? And once you recognize that, you're able to disrupt that cycle of socialization because you've recognized it. And now you have a sense of, I want to do better. I don't want to have those same biases that I know that I've had before. And so you take a conscious effort towards combating or mitigating those implicit biases. So when you think about what should you be doing once you get out into the field, and even now, and continuing once you start practicing as a pharmacist, thinking about when you are interacting with someone that's different than you, what are some of those feelings that come up in your mind or those thoughts that come up that are typically you're not very conscious about, but you want to reflect on them as you're interacting with these individuals? Having that sense of self-awareness is very important because when we don't mitigate our implicit biases, they will creep up in a variety of ways. The way that we treat our patients, the people that we hire within our organizations, the people that we interact with. And so this is so very important to recognize, reflect, and mitigate those unconscious biases. I think it's also important to think about how can I be an ally? And so you may have heard this term of an ally. 
And typically an ally is someone from a non-marginalized group who uses their privilege to advocate for a marginalized group. But it is important to differentiate between what we call performative allyship versus genuine or authentic allyship. So performative allyship is basically you're just doing things because it's what everyone else is doing. And I know some people have felt that a number of statements that have gone out from different organizations have been more of just a first step and maybe considered more of a performative allyship versus genuine allyship is you are actually doing the work. You're taking action steps to advocate for those marginalized groups. So thinking about what are some steps that I can do when I see someone that is not being treated fairly, or I am even at, at my family function and I hear my uncle saying racist comments. Trying to influence your immediate network of individuals to combat and advocate for those that are marginalized. And once you start to do that in your immediate influence, your immediate network of influence, it gets easier to do it in other areas. So when you're at work and you hear um, an, an employee that you're working with say certain comments that are racist or that are um, not um, appropriate, they might be um, a manifestation of an unconscious bias. Speaking up, that's important. So we talked about this education piece, finding ways that you can educate yourself. So reading books, there's a number of, of books that are available. How to be an, uh, an anti-racist is a great one. Another one is white fragility. And so oftentimes when privilege is being seen as taken away, it can make someone feel like I want to hold on to my privilege and being more fragile. The conversation of equity versus equality is an important one to have in this realm of thinking about as pharmacists, what should we, what's that lens that we should have? And so our lens should be from an equitable state versus an equality state. So if we were to treat everyone the same, we wouldn't be in this situation right now of, of dealing with the historical context of this country as it relates to racism. But unfortunately, marginalized groups have not been treated the same for hundreds of years. And so now in order for them to be a part of the race, we have got to take measures so that it is more equitable. And so that's where you have different initiatives such as affirmative action, um, but also finding ways to speak up and provide resources to those that have been marginalized. So I'll recap, it's definitely this reflection and education that's important in recognition, um, but it's also walking in this allyship and truly being a genuine ally so that you are helping to be a part of the solution versus the problem. That makes so much sense. Sometimes it's just, it can be such an uncomfortable topic and people get, I myself do get comfortable in their ways and would rather not address it. And I just, you know, I'm realizing that it's so important to actually speak up and 
instead of being quiet because sometimes you actually do more damage by not saying anything but absolutely thanks dr butler Hi, Dr. Butler. Um, this is Karima. My question is um, for student pharmacists who are minorities and um, who has um, experienced discrimination, um, whether in school or somewhere in the society, in the pharmacy, um, what advice uh, would you give them as to how to react in that situation? That's a great question. And certainly um, as a minority pharmacist, and you're also a minority student pharmacist, uh, this is unfortunately oftentimes our daily lives. Um, so we, we deal with microaggressions, we deal with the, the, the discrimination of maybe being the only person of color in our organizations or a limited number of, of those of color in our organizations. And so what, what do you do when you have experienced discrimination? It's definitely important to bring that to the attention of the individual. And I know there can oftentimes be a power dynamic, especially from a student perspective. This is something that you are dealing with in the workplace or even in the classroom. Um, but I think oftentimes individuals may not necessarily know the impact of their actions they understand the intent. So their intent was not to harm, but the impact was harmful. And so if we give them an opportunity to understand and we share, at least share to, with them the impact of their action, and then allowing them to address it from uh, the, the level of impact. So if the response is, uh, one that is feasible, then that means that you have addressed it and you have at least brought something to light that may have gone unnoticed or even unknown. But if it's not a good response, you have, and hopefully in your institution, um, there are individuals, so faculty members, um, you know, counselors, that if you feel more comfortable, a mentor, that if you feel more comfortable going and speaking with them and having them to help you address the situation, I think that's another route as well. But I think it's so important that we don't allow different actions to not be addressed. Because I know even for myself, I've realized that I've allowed that, but how can I expect someone to change if they don't know what to change? So we have to, this, system, this racism issue is all of our problems. And for those who are experiencing it, we can speak up just as those who are, um, who maybe see someone in the room that is actually um, making a, a racist comment or is contributing to racism. So it's speaking up, sharing the impact and I like to, to ask questions. So, you know, someone makes a comment, um, you know, sharing that that comment really did not make me feel good. Uh, what was your intent behind that? And so they can share the intent was certainly not to be harmful, but then certainly finishing up with stating, well, the impact was harmful. 
And that will give them an opportunity to hopefully reflect and make a change. Thank you so much for that response. Those are two great questions uh, by, by our student pharmacists here. Uh, so thank you for contributing to, to the interview. That, that was wonderful. And, and what an educational segment we've, we've had. This is something that is timely and appropriate and uh, much needed. So we are very thankful for this uh, conversation with Dr. Lakeisha Butler. Uh, Dr. Butler, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yes. I certainly want to thank you, first off, for having me on um, the IPHA talk. Um, it is definitely a very timely topic and a very relevant topic to pharmacists. So once again, I just want to state that we have taken an oath as pharmacists, and our student pharmacists will take that oath as well. We are to provide care to all humanity. We have individuals in our country that have been systemically marginalized and oppressed for many years. As healthcare providers, it is our responsibility to make sure that this ends, this racism, this systemic oppression that is permeating throughout our country within healthcare, within systems, it has to end. And it takes all of us. It takes all of us to take a stand and to say that I will be a part of the solution instead of the problem. Organizations such as IPHA, you can take a stand by providing education to your members, but also doing a policy analysis of your organization and fighting for and advocating for our marginalized communities um, at a state level. There's work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. And I'm just glad that you all are ready to be a part of that work. And I encourage you to not get discouraged or grow weary because it, it will be a process. But take this time to truly reflect, educate yourself, and recognize the privilege that you may have and help others with your privilege. Thank you again, Dr. Butler, for taking this time and, um, and, and sharing these very needed words of wisdom as we um, continue to have these discussions as we go forward. And thank you again for your leadership in helping bring the national organizations together as we focus on this issue of racial injustice and, and in, in taking the necessary steps forward. Um, from all levels of pharmacy, like you said, this is everyone's problem and it's gonna be everyone to be able to bring that to a solution. So again, thank you for taking the time to be with us today on Illinois Farm Talk. Thank you. What a great interview uh, segment with Dr. Lakeisha Butler. This has just been fantastic. Uh, what a fact-filled and uh, very, like we said several times, timely piece. Um, it, it's important that we get this one out there for all the listeners to really um, um, consume and, and think about because of how important it is, all the subject matter that we've been talking about. For those of you that want more information, you can find more information on this important subject, including a link to the, the joint statement on racial injustice in pharmacy 
at the www.nationalpharmaceuticalassociation.com website. And we will have that link as well as the link to the joint statement in the description of this podcast. So once again, thank you, Dr. Butler, for what a great interview and also to our pharmacy students uh, for the great question. So thank you again for everybody. Uh, what a great interview. And, and we'll be right back with the rest of the podcast. Coming out of that very moving interview, uh, educational and timely, uh, what a what a magnificent piece for us to put into this podcast series. Um, I, I'm very proud that we have the opportunity to be this conduit for our membership and for the listeners across the state and hopefully beyond. And with that, we're going to jump right into COVID-19. So, You know, COVID-19, this is the virus that we've been fighting since early March uh, in all of its forms, and and we are starting to come out of the shadows. Some businesses are opening up. Uh, We are still a bit leery about those businesses and and rejoining the communities, but but doing so in a safely manner, we should uh, start to have some of that social aspect that we've been missing as a community. So with that, let's talk about all of the stats and and current statuses that we have right now. So Garth, give us an update. Where are we? Well, as you alluded to, we are improving in some ways. In the New York Times just recently showed that Illinois actually was one of the few states that was actually increasing the least. And I think that's something that that's really to be um, considered a laudable point right now because um, we have many states that are basically on a viral inferno, um, and in especially in the southern parts of this country right now, in the world right now, we are at 10.2, almost 10.3 million cases worldwide, and at just under 2.6 million of those cases here in the United States. And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen the United States just shoot up in cases versus the rest of the world. As everyone else has been able to flatten the curve and have had a significant decrease, we're having a huge spike. And actually, we have reached back up to our peak that we were in April. And this is very discouraging because we were hoping that we were starting to stem the tide and start to really see a significant movement against this, this viral infection that we've all been dealing with. Even here in Illinois, I mean, we have been seeing a slowing of cases. We're at 142,000 cases right now. Still, 101 of our 102 counties have been infected, um, but we're starting to see an increase, even in the southern part of the state, which has actually seen some of the slowest growth. Now, um, this this past Friday, Illinois moved into its phase four of five of our Reopen Illinois plan that Governor Pritzker laid out for us. And this is where we will be for a while. And that's one thing that everyone needs to consider, is that phase four is going to be a long-term state of affairs because phase five will not be available to us until there is a valid treatment or a valid vaccine. And if things continue to explode, as we're seeing in cases around the country, we could see parts of the state have to retract into phase three 
and hopefully nowhere lower than in going back into phase one or two. I hate to see the state of Illinois go back that far. You know, it's interesting, Garth, that as we are moving towards reopening in phases across the country, people are getting this false sense of security that the virus is gone. It's going away, and they don't need to worry anymore. And you see people now ditching their masks and uh, going into restaurants that are they're open because, hey, if the restaurant is open, it's got to be safe now because, you know, that's not my job to take care of myself anymore, apparently. Um, but what we have to remember is, you know, we're still on an upward trend and we have 4% of the world population, but we have a fourth of the worldwide cases. So think about that. I mean, I know the numbers, if you're not thinking about math, sound four and four, but those aren't equals. To have 4% of the population, but a fourth of the worldwide cases means we did not do a good job at listening and following directions. And that speaks pretty loudly for a lot of uh, different aspects of our political situation these days. But anyway, getting back, we've got to still toe the line. We've got to still be steadfast, listen to directions, follow orders, and not lose that sense that we still need to protect ourselves. We aren't safe. We aren't forgetting that there's a virus out there because it's still there. We haven't beaten it. We did a great job kicking its butt, but it's not gone. And you bring up a very good point, Ben, that we, it's still not gone, and we still have a long way to go. And that's one of the things that we talked in the last episode, that both the Illinois Pharmacists Association and the Missouri Pharmacy Association were still weighing the pros and cons of being able to hold our conference live. And we have come to a decision, and because of the of interest of safety, we will continue with the conference September 24th through the 27th, but it will be held entirely virtual. And this will be a new experience for us, but I think with the um, the weekly town halls that we've had and the numerous continuing education events that we've held in the recent months, this has given us some new experience into holding meetings virtually. And I look forward to being able to share the time with you um, in September not just as an education experience, but also our networking and celebrating our award winners and our students, just as we would if we were in St. Louis live at the meeting. We will be doing this around our computers, and it will be a worthwhile event to attend. So uh, buy your drink tickets now for the uh, Friday evening Zoom meeting. Uh, you know, you, we can start preparing early for that one. Well, moving on from the conference, um, as much of a bummer as it is that we have to go virtual, it's going to be pretty interesting doing something new, and I'm positive that we're going to find ways to make it exciting and something that you won't want to miss. So keep your ears peeled. We'll have another episode to release all the details about conference coming up sometime in the future when those details are figured out. But I can tell you now, you will not want to miss whatever we come up with. So be prepared to buy your virtual tickets to the virtual conference. It will still be September 24th through the 27th, and we will make it an event that you will definitely not want to miss. 
that is all we've got for you today. We had an exciting interview. We had some key uh, updates to COVID, and we've released the information about conference going virtual, and we're going to make that a wrap. So uh, with that, thank you, Garth. Thank you, Ben. And thank you to our listeners. Check back regularly to hear new episodes as we will keep you updated on legislative matters happening around the state. You can find us on the internet at IPHA.org, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as IL Pharmacist. That's plural, with the S, IL Pharmacist. Follow us today to stay in the know. That will do it for this installment of Illinois Farm Talk. Stay tuned for our next chapter as the voice for pharmacy in Illinois brings you another edition of Illinois Farm Talk. Thank you for listening to the Illinois Farm Talk podcast.